Today on Arcade Fire Sings the Alphabet, Half Light 2, No Celebration. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Arcade Fire Sings the Alphabet. My name is Alex Payande, beside me is Owen Heaney, and we are the only Arcade Fire podcast on the internet talking about every single Arcade Fire song alphabetically, one per episode, one per week, but it's been a while since we've been in the studio, eh, Owen? Yeah, I've lost touch. Very much so. Um, Yeah, sorry for having to take a break last week. Owen was out of town, I was out of town, and... We couldn't manage to pre-record. It's been a while because we recorded Half-Light 1 a week early, so now it's been two weeks since we've been in the studio. Yeah. It's the longest it's been since we started. Um, Before getting into the song, we have a quick talk with one of our listeners, Stowe Gregory, a listener from Britain who's living in Italy, who is an Arcade Fire expert to this song specifically in a very special way. So let's just get into that. Before this tour, and they only played this song live like a few times. I mean, some basic fact we'll get into later. Uh, but they played it acoustically. And Wynn said before playing acoustically, like something like they had a hard time trying to get this song to sound good live. But on this tour, they brought it out full band in the style of the album. And there are videos online we could have watched to talk about it. But even better, we have someone who just saw the song live, a dear listener from Italy, Stowe Gregory. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> it's an honor to be on the greatest Arcade Fire podcast. Oh, <laughs> on the, in- the honor is all ours. Okay, so uh, so before getting into the concert or the DJ Windows ninety eight, oh. let's talk Arcade Fire. How did you get into the band? Okay. Ah, uh, Reflector. I was a huge Bowie fan and ignorant to any new music, and then it was like, oh, Bowie's on this new song. Of course, I had to check it out, and then within about 30 seconds, I had found the band I had always dreamed of. Ah, beautiful. Well, so Reflector was the first song you ever heard? Yeah, (laughs) I was late. And then just just dove in after that? Yes, big time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Uh, is the the Reflector album still your favorite then, or would you say... I would say it's between Reflector and Neon Bible. Mm. Okay, yeah, Reflector wow. was like the album of I was 19 when when it came out so yeah so was I was 19 staring at a screen oh <laughs> wow <laughs> it was written for you yeah those are some I real the dark horse the choices sorry those are some really dark horse choices it's not most people won't say Reflector and Neon Bible are their top two right on I will say, like, people, it's like their first album does kind of tend mm. to float to the top. Like, The Suburbs was the first album I really got into, and that's the one that, like, really sticks with me, too, so. Yeah, I would agree with. I have dark horse choices anyway, because, like, chemistry. <laughs> this is an underrated song. It is! And now both of us were known chemistry... Uh, Truthers? No, 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 no. <laughs> People, uh, like, someone made fun of the song. We, we both openly made fun of the song on social media. Yeah, you are chemistry haters. We were, we were, but I'm not anymore. Uh, I've seen I have the never light. made fun of the song on social media. Oh, you honestly. made that the video with the dog, which everyone should go check out. So if uh, people want to find you, your Twitter handle is at Stowe. Stowe. 
With two underscores. S-T-O-W-E um, underscore underscore. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's fantastic chemistry content on there. So, yeah, chemistry is, uh, it's not that bad, <sighs> eh? Yeah, it's, uh, people, I think, at first were shocked by how serious, how unserious it was. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh my god, what is this? But once you let it into your heart, it's the most joyous. Wow. Yeah, uh, agreed, agreed. You have to really stand back and... Take it for what it is. Something we're going to discuss much more. I'm going to discuss much more at our end of the year episode when we when we talk about old songs. So you saw Arcade Fire just, I think, two weeks ago today now at the Citadel, right? In uh, Music Festival in Berlin? Yes, two and, weeks today. Wow. wow. And it was, so, They say it's a music festival, but it, it's like one of those things where it's it's not a festival. They just say it's a festival because it's summer. Oh. So, oh, so it's it a headline show. It was oh, a, okay. it's just them? So, see, yeah. That, that, thank, oh. thank, thankfully, you're here because that confused me. I just looked at the when I was looking at the online. But uh, also, yeah, this so, is the thing they do in Europe. Yeah. Mm. So, how many times have you seen Arcade Fire then? I've seen Arcade Fire five times, and um, this is my fifth show. All of them have been in the Everything Now era, which I'm kind of ashamed to admit. But <laughs> I think. Uh, People who have been like 20 times or more have all agreed that it's like the most dramatic, spectacular show they've had. This tour or Arcade Fire in general? <laughs> oh yeah, I think in general like the production is, it's kind of ridiculously over the top, so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could argue the other tours have been more special or like I would time travel back to Neon Bible days instantly, if I could. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I think the production makes it unique. Definitely. Um, and so, speaking of unique production, how was how was seeing Half-Light 1 and Half-Light 2? Okay, so I'm looking at the set list now. And we'd heard in the sound check they were playing... They they sound checked cars and telephones, half light one, half light two, headlights, and we were all like, Oh, there's no way they'll play. Maybe we'll get one of those if lucky. And then they went through all of them. <laughs> and so I don't know if you've ever been lucky enough to see like a really rare song live, but it's Yeah, that's how we felt when they like, when they were sound checking we used to wait. So they play cars and telephones and then it's like half light one. <laughs> And Half-Life 2. Dang. And once Half-Life 2 finishes, like, you're naturally, your ears are tuned for Half-Life 2. Okay, that's, like, muscle memory. It's expecting Half-Life 2. Definitely. And that's what we got. (laughs) Fantastic. And uh, the front row was a mess. (laughs) Uh, People crying. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I... I think we were very lucky, like six or seven rare songs. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a question not to do with Athlete. Actually has to do with cars and telephone. So we have made the policy that we are not we we are not gonna do an episode on cars and telephones because it's not an official release. What do you think after having seen it live in concert? 
Okay, so I'm song. against your policy, first of all. Okay. <laughs> this is like one of my favorite Arcade Fire songs, and I've listened to it for years and years. And like, because it's not being officially released, no one really knew of it. Maybe some hardcore fans who spent too much time on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But then they started playing it now, and it seems to be growing into some much earned popularity. And yeah, why? Why is? How, what is it gonna take for you guys? To <laughs> we might we might abridge the list in the new year. No promises, but um, maybe. Mostly because I also really like the Great Arcade Fire song, like the the song The Great Arcade Fire. Not yeah yeah. I don't know. That's it'll. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Cars and Telephones is an emotional song for me. So nice. I was a mess. <laughs> Another dark horse. Yeah, it's. I think it's written by Just Win as well before he'd even moved to Montreal. So mm. that's a, that's like as deep deeper cut as it gets. Yeah, yeah. I think I, th- I reserve that for the Christmas album, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but now yeah. now I want to hear about his DJ set. So you went to the oh, after show, God. right? Yep, so Wynn's DJ set is a whole nother crazy night. So it was a, I don't know. Was it a different night or the same have, night? How many of your listeners have gone? But uh, I'm guessing the average Arcade Fire fan is not a club goer. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there with other people I'd met at the show the night before and some friends. And like we are not club goers. We're, we're very uncomfortable in that setting. And so it was... Like four or five of us going to a club purely for Win Butler. <laughs> <laughs> so we arrive, and it's this random, dark, like, car fixing alley in the middle, like, East Berlin. And uh, Win Win posted on Instagram before on his story. He was like, "Oh, I found a review of this place on DJ setting. It's got one star." So. It was an interesting place. It's like this tiny room. Uh, not really, I don't think it was remotely a stereotypical cl- club. It was just some small room packed with Berliners. And we're in there pretending to know what we're doing. And then in comes Wim Butler in his dad hat. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but... Let's just say he has surprising taste in music. Oh, well, what was he playing? So he played what you would expect, like some Clash and some Aretha Franklin and uh, some Haitian stuff. And then it seemed to descend into <laughs> like, I don't know if it's, I don't know what's called, but like techno. Ah. And EDM? Yeah. Did, huh. you, did you go? Did anyone go up and talk to him? Did you go up? Oh, so I've seen, I've spoke to people in, who've been to other sets, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's really good, a really good chance to meet him." And he'll like, he'll talk. But this, I don't know. This seemed like the worst time to meet Wim Butler. He didn't stick around afterward. Well, I don't know how. Long, I left at like two a.m. I, th- I think he might have gone on until four a.m. Oh, but he was. Uh, let's say intoxicated, uh. <laughs> and 
Yeah, he was. Uh, he he doesn't seem like he would like to talk to people during it. Oh yeah, I don't well, think it, he wants the attention on him. No, I can't imagine he'd want it during. But but after, I hear he's really open. I hear he's really open to having drinks bought for him as well. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> uh, one cool moment was uh, so Stuart Boogie arrived, and I think that's how you pronounce his name, Boogie, and uh, he. He arrived with like a cowbell, and I was right next to them, and kind of like cowbell jamming. Ah. I don't know if it's a term, cowbell jamming, but yeah, that was a highlight of my life. Makes sense. (laughs) All right, so finishing this off, Half Light 2, you have a rating for us. You didn't want to talk about the full episode, but you have a rating for us. Yes. It's an honor. Rating and I have like a what do you call it a currency? A metric. Like a yeah, uh, a metric. Yeah. Yeah. Four dead man's eyes. No, three point five dead man's eyes out of five. Three point five. You stole my metric. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it was come. either this or like uh, press to God. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, I mean, we're gonna wait for Owen's metric later, but. Uh, why 3.5? Or or is it just a number and that's it? That's all you want to say? And this is a crucial song in the suburbs. Uh, pretty full. I think it's flawless musically. And, hmm. Yeah, like, lyrically, like, you can't criticize it. It's just, if you have to compare it to, like, a 5, if, like, chemistry is a 5, then, uh... <laughs> No, if chemistry is a one and it's hello. Yeah, hello? sorry, yeah, we're, we're still, still here. here. Sorry. Okay, so if chemistry is a one and uh, it's never over as a five, then yeah, this is somewhere in the middle. Okay, okay, fair enough. Well, uh, thanks so much for being on. We love talking to you. No problem. Thank you for having me. No problem. We'll <laughs> chat sometime soon. See you later. Bye. See ya. Well, that was our interview with Stowe, and time to get into it. You ready to go, Owen? I'm ready to go. What do you have to say about Half-Light 2, No Celebration? So for some of the basic facts, I just kind of like copy and pasted Half-Light 1s and made a few changes. Fair enough. So this is the eighth track instead of the seventh track of the band's third album. It was released along with the rest of the album on August 2nd, 2010. It is our fifth track off the suburbs, six if you include the bonus edition, Clocks in at 4 minutes and 25 seconds, making it solidly average for the album. Half-Light 2 has been played live 13 times. And most recently was August 13th, 2018 at the Citadel Music Festival, as we talked with Stowe, where it actually is not a music festival, but it's just a headline. Which we learned. And that was in Berlin, Germany. Most of those, or, but it's split, like you were saying, some of those, it's 13 times, but... Not 13 times the way it sounds like on the album. Most of those, or, or the first of those, were all acoustically. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Interesting. Uh, and uh, so it has 6 million streams on the suburbs. So, of the, yeah, um, on, sorry, on Spotify. And out of the 16 songs on the suburbs and on Spotify, it is the 13th most streamed. So, it's, yeah, it's down at the bottom. Damn, that's surprising to me. I know, really surprising. Maybe it's because they don't play it live, you know? People, they don't play yeah, it live, may- people maybe. don't stream it. That's, yeah, it, it, huh. Very surprising. Yeah. 
Anyway, if this is a bottom tier song for you, let us know. Um, if this is one that you don't listen to often, it's not in any of your playlists, uh, let us know. That's uh, We'd love to hear that. Anyway, um, yeah, this is the, like you were saying last episode, the call response of the male character female. We had Half-Light 1 from Regine, and now this. And it's the last track on disc one of the suburbs. So we had the arc that started with um, our, we, our, our male character opened up the album with his In the Suburbs I Learned to Drive and You Told Me We'd Never Survive, so grab your mother's keys, we're leaving. But since that track, we've had a lot of self-discovery. You know, the last we saw of him was on City With No Children where he felt like he was living he in the garden he left to ruin, that he was the billionaire in his private prison, and because of all of his actions, he was now in that city with no children. But, and also we dreamt we drove home to Houston and there was no light, but we started to learn the compromise that came with growing up and we started to move past the feeling and into the night, all which we talked about on City With No Children. But here we are again on this song in the half light of the evening, not in the darkness, but driving once again. What do you have to say, Owen? That was some creative use of the lyrics they made. Um... Yeah, like following the themes, I think the suburbs goes together. I think at the best of any album they've released in terms of a narrative. Y- narrative. Partway through the song, you hear this lyric and you think, "Hey, that makes me really think about this song." And like, I think I'll be going as we go into the song, I'll be like, "Hey, this kind of is like this song." So expect a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to move past the feeling and into the song. Yeah. Ha. So uh, take the first one. Now that San Francisco's gone, I guess I'll just pack it in. Want to wash away my sins in the presence of my friends. What are you thinking on that, Alex? So San Francisco's gone. I think that with their whole like metaphor of at war with the suburbs, I don't. Th- this is like it's gone as if the city's changed a lot from the way it used to be, like gentrification and rezoning and all of that, and like the culture changes. And he's leaving because, you know, it's becoming the buildings downtown and he doesn't want to live in a building, work in a building downtown. And he doesn't, he's becoming a city with no children. So he wants to leave. And perhaps it's a city with no children because all the children grew up. But regardless, he wants to, at this point, leave with his friends and just wash away all the billionaire sins from himself. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Like it's, um, it's a cleansing. I mean, like a theme we see throughout even Neon Bible is the idea of if you keep moving, you'll never let your fears catch up to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you run to the sea. And I think this is the same idea of like, well, we'll just, <laughs> I'll just run away from my problems and head somewhere else. Exactly. Which which goes very much into the second one with the uh, you and I, we head back east to find a town where we can live. Even in the half light, we can see that something's got to give. You know, like Owen was just saying, they grabbed their mother's keys. They left tonight. And borrowing imagery from Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town, you know, in the wild daylight when they're running to see the sea and they're, you know, born to run, they're running from their their problems and their fears in the darkness. But now in the very distance, like, they've been running and now it's, it's kind of dark. It's getting darker and they're realizing that even before it's completely dark, even when it's still the half-light, that uh, there's a darkness there too and that something's going to have to change. They, this, this isn't going to work. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I agree. Like that's what I was saying, trying to say before. Oh, exactly. But, um, but I'm just drawing the song as like the context of when it was written. It was written. Well, I mean, it was released in 2010, so it was written before that. And like I think it was written right in the great kind of like the Great Recession era of the mm-hmm. U.S. and Canada and even the world, right around around the world when the housing market collapsed and we saw like, a lot of like high unemployment. And it kind of it also that well, but this verse specifically reminds me of something like like um. What's the movie with Lenny and the rabbits? Oh, of mice and men. Of mice and men, right? Where yeah. um, the, there's the Great Dust Bowl in the Great Depression, and all, all these farm workers are moving west, right? Kept going west to west, west to California, and like that's where it, what he's talking about with San Francisco. And you'll see later when he says like where I grew up or where I was born, like where Wynn Wynn was born mm-hmm. in California as well. And it was um, so, but like now it's like now we move back east because like now it's like you moved for to California for prosperity and you found there's nothing there and like now you're moving back east, and um, yeah, I just think in the context of like when it was written, like that that like Great Recession yeah. is kind of also applied in that too. Well, yeah, like in which we're gonna. I mean, I'll just read the next one because it yeah. plays into what we're saying. That when we watched the markets crash, the promises we made were torn. Then my parents sent for me from out west where I was born. Um, very much like that it's everything was going so well and you go west because you feel like there's this promise of, of, of it being beautiful and, and everyone's happy and, and the sun's always shining and, and I like the beach and all, all the imagery like and of mice and men, you know, the, everyone's chasing their own rabbit farm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but then when the markets crash, you know, the promise is broken and, you realize you see things for what they really are, and that it's not going to be that good and beautiful forever. Um, and so, their parents. Now we. I imagine that this is when it says my parents sent me from out west where I was born. It's like they were in the west, and then they went to the east, and now their parents want them to go back to the west. See, uh, I read it differently. I, I read that his, the parents have already left the west. I mean, maybe that's just because, like, I was reading too much into his personal history, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. if, you, if you've, if like, watched any interviews with Wynn, he never self-identifies with where he's born in Truckee, California, which is, like, North North Cal, whereas he identifies a lot with Woodlands, um, Texas, right? And Rio? Well, Buenos, everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even that, then, he doesn't really talk about that as much, but, like, he like, he almost never talks about where he's born. So I think it's interesting that in this one where he talks about when I was born, where out west where I was born, maybe there is some sort of self-identification there. Yeah, or, I mean, a lot of the imagery really does, like, the the meaning behind this is universal, which is why everyone relates to it, why we relate to it, but it's the upbringing of all of the band. Just the way the funeral was about dealing with death, but it wasn't about any one of their specific dealing with death, but all of them doing it together. In the same way, this is about all of their suburb lives yeah. together. But they do tend to draw the imagery from Win and Will's Woodlands because that's the most relatable. Like the, the meaning is the same for all of them, but the images are specific to them. But all that being said, um, it may not specifically be because it's a conglomerate of all of them, West might just be again that that uh, that image of, of being great, you know. Yeah. Um, Want to get into the next one? Okay. Uh, some people say we've already lost, but they're afraid to pay the cost for what we lost. Pay the cost for what we've lost. See, this one I think this one's like uh, 
when I first read this line, I'm like, oh, like this is like how like millennials think. Like, oh, some people say we've already lost, but then like the people who like the baby boomers all there, but they're not. They're afraid to pay the cost. And like, but it's interesting because no one in the band is really a millennial in like the description, right? I was looking it up, and Regine was born in like '76, went in like 1980, and the the only one born after 1980. To like that's kind of like the line for like a wild millennial would be is um, will mm. and um, but like that, I don't know like I, I I mean you can still apply that in the kind of like land landscape of this idea of like oh there's like back back in the day people would be, were able to support families on a single salary of a blue collar job and like now like that's gone and like that's and, like that was the suburban life right it was all these families who can move to the suburbs. And live on this like single salary and now it's like that doesn't seem reasonable to any millennial yeah because because it isn't i mean it's not like we can paint houses on the side and pay for our university tuition mm-hmm. um yeah like the the cost isn't literal money it's the lost youth and lost innocence and like realizing that they can't be in the suburbs and that it's not going to be easy or wild or whatever they thought it would be So um, people say, you know, oh, they lost it all. There's no use fighting it. But Wynn is kind of saying, or the male character is saying that, like, no, you know, you have to move past the feeling and into the night and, like, let go and let change happen, you know. Mm -hmm. Say say yes to life. And, yeah, he's, he's realized that. He hasn't quite realized that on this album until this song. But it's something that kind of clicked on City with No Children and now clicks a lot more here. Yeah. Um, do you want to take the next one? Sure. Now that you've left me here, I will never raise my voice. All the diamonds you have here in this home which has no life. And as soon as I read the home which has no life, I was like, oh, empty room. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> empty room. Exactly. Ocean <laughs> was, in a shell. Yeah. And like that, that was just right off. Um, so that's what I was talking about before. Of like every song on the suburbs kind of connects somehow. Like this, they share lines, they have similar themes. And this one is like the, what you bring to an empty room is like what fills it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't bring anything, then it, it is just a shell. And um, like, it's interesting because this is a really, I'd say this is a very like uh, fatherly tone in terms of like I'll, I will never raise my voice and like now that you've left me here I don't know that's like a but it's it's a very like fatherly in the sense that it's seen a lot yeah and and it's it's reflective like yeah. I find the voice sometimes switches from from uh, like say on the suburbs that's looking back but some of the songs are in the moment yeah um, yeah. I I have the exact same stuff you wrote. I I don't no need to reiterate. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> oh, this city's changed so much since I was a little child. Pray that God. Pray that I won't live to see. No, pray to God I won't live to see the death of everything that's wild. And here, right off the bat, we get that very very the national guitar strum. You know that like the. Yeah. And I can I can just smell the guitar pick grinding away. Um, yeah, pray to God that I won't live to see the death of everything that wild. That's wild is my favorite line in this song, and not just from the album, but from one of my favorite lines in the entire catalog. It just it fires me up, and it's I think a line that could summarize their like first three albums almost. Um, 
The only off the top of my head, the only other one I could think of that's been in the top so far is in everything now. The Tulevi room in my house is full of stuff I couldn't live without. I like that one as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he is realizing that some of the wild's dying. He's moving past the feeling and into the night. And in the night, you know, in the adulthood he's facing, he looks back and realizes, you know, how much the physical city has changed, how much of the wild is wild is gone. And I mean, I'm not sure how it is in, in Victoria, where you're from, but even in like these brief years that I've been away at university in Coquitlam, the suburb of Vancouver, where I'm from, they've put in a SkyTrain and they rezoned so many areas, areas for condos and towers and not that this is bad, but it's different from what I remember it. And it seems like the parks that now have a SkyTrain, all the sort of stuff that I remember of being young and, and being wild are gone and replaced by, for lack of a better word, infrastructure, which is good on its own. People need to travel. People need to live places. But I feel like it's easy to, and what Wynn has moved past is saying that, I remember it being this way, and now these things have come in and changed that. Therefore, these things are bad, and I'm against that. And But he's, you know, he feels that it's it's easier to be at war with the suburbs and with expansion um, than to face, face the fact that not only did it change, and that's gone, but I changed too, and I grew up, and Wynn grew up. And the reason that we're not the way I was, the reason that I'm not the way I was when I was a wild child isn't because of the physical city changing. It's because I'm changing. And I don't know, I used to define as something wild, and a lot of that is gone. And feeling the same way, the character on this song, on the album, you know, has moved on from fighting this inevitability of growing up and this inevitability of the suburbs physically changing. Um, and that's where we are. A lot of the wild is left, but still. He knows that not all of it has left, and he hopes that it's always like a bit of that wild is always in him, even though now it's inevitable. He knows that he's going to grow up. Yeah, for me, it's like the talking about like the death of everything wild. It's like that part within you that wants to explore, right? That mm-hmm. idea within you, like when you're young, it's like, I really want to explore, and you, like he doesn't want to see that part of him die within himself. Mm-hmm. So when he goes and he says like the, like you said when he says the city's changed, well he's changed. Yeah, and like that's. He he doesn't he, he doesn't want to see he he's accepted change but he doesn't want to accept change in a certain way where he loses his childhood like yeah willing to like explore yeah even like before on the the reflector tapes concert what is that live live at Leeds whichever there's the reflect there's a concert that comes with the reflector tapes um, in somewhere in England and before playing the suburbs he says like oh tomorrow they're like they're knocking this down to put up a shopping mall or something. And I feel like that's the embodiment of like kind of the sentiment that, um, oh, they're knocking down a concert hall to put up a shopping mall, like music is dying, but it's like, no, music is changing or, or the area is changing and you're changing as well. It doesn't mean that your memories aren't there anymore and it doesn't mean that you can't make new stuff, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'll read this last one. Yeah, or you can just go right to the end. Okay. Though we knew this day would come, still it took us by surprise. In this town where I was born, I now see through a dead man's eyes. One day they will see it's long gone. And how many times did they repeat that? Repeat Three that? more times. Three more times. I'm not going to do that, though. All right. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So for me, this one is like talking about like when we talk about the narrative between the two speakers, it's though we knew this day would come, still took us by surprise is a pr- pretty beautiful line because it's the, it's like this inevitable idea that they're going to break up, right? That they're not meant for each other, that there's like this reason. It's like they both knew it. They both knew at some point. But when the moment it happened, it was still a surprise, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. This is such a song of revelations on this album. Yeah, that's that's all I have. Mm-hmm. Um, musically, like we're just they're running on all pistons here. Like Jeremy driving the drums, then that thumping bass or synth or whatever is in the background, and then Sarah with the very juxtaposing strings. Like this song is very upbeat and energetic, and then her string parts are very like, like not sad but but melancholy and reflective like no like how we're actually feeling but not how we're talking right now mm-hmm. and um, i also love is the mirrored vocals right yeah oh, that's what i have yeah it's like you, you hear wind singing and like just right under it slightly soft you have like regine i think just like yeah um showing that they're like they're still together mm-hmm. um and and speaking of wind this is win at peak desperation voice something we haven't had <laughs> we haven't said this in a while we haven't had it in a while but Wind desperation voice on this song, especially when he does the uh, pray that I won't see the death of everything that's wild. And then we get a nice little woo, <laughs> which is also very uncurt. The first, I think, woo, since the ahs on uh, on wake up. What is it? On- onomatopoeia? Uh, the term for. I mean, no. how and boom yeah. would be onomatopoeia. It, it's like woo. just a vocalization. Yeah. All right. Um, and then I love the. The 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 guitar like this like the boom kind of like the slams they have all the time, it's um, I can see why they didn't like they had trouble playing it live because I feel like awful sound there's just a lot going on yeah, and uh, yeah, uh just I said on Half Light One how it did everything musically it needed to do to enhance the words same thing with this one like the music and the lyrics are just in complete harmony and and just do so much for each other um have anything else to say um i'm still trying to think of a new metric really fast okay still took my last one (laughs) you can no that's good that's that's (laughs) i i would be flattered if the metric i came up with somebody else enjoyed as well um what you got i have five five prayers to god that i won't live to see the death of everything that's wild out of five like Musically, lyrically, this is one of the best songs in the suburbs, and this is one of my maybe top 10 Arcade Fire songs. Certainly, of everything we've done now, up till now, I probably in the top five. Um, this is one of, yeah, and probably in my top 10 overall, but, I mean, I haven't thought about that maybe ever. Uh, five. Yeah, un, un, like without a doubt. What about you? I got four uh, dead man's eyes out of five. <laughs> I thought for sure you'd give this one a five. No, nope. well, those would be a hall of fame. I'm willing to. I'm willing to share the dead man's eyes with Stowe now that I've, I've grown since I, I was questioning it before. But I'm I'm happy to share it. Uh, four out of five. I agree. It is one of my top five songs that we've done so far, but it isn't as good. In my the two fives I've given was Afterlife and Everything Now. Mm-hmm. Not not quite <sighs> tier. But, you know, really close. I, Fair enough. Cl- like a 4.5 or nah. no? it's a 4. A solid 4. Yeah. Ah. That, uh, I, I thought for sure you'd go for a 5 on this one. Oh. Oh. Well, I mean, that's all I have to say about. Uh, What's next week? Next week is 
headlights look like diamonds. Ah. Next week's also Owen and I start classes next week. Mm. The what what a, what a time to go and listen to the suburbs in the last week of the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks, everyone. You're all – we love all of our listeners. Thanks so much for listening. You're a wonderful audience, and we're Arcade Fire Sings the Alphabet. See you next week. Bye.